following was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I thought about us opening our time this morning with singing How Sweet and Awesome is the Place, but I decided against it because it was a last-minute idea, and those are rarely good, at least coming from me. And so uh, we're not going to sing How Sweet and Awesome is the Place, but that is a great theme for, um, for church histories and for reminiscing about what the Lord does in particular places among particular peoples. But I do want to highlight that following the superscription associating um, psalm 84 with the sons of Korah, this, this psalm opens with these words, perhaps inspiring how sweet and awesome is the place. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. In these few verses, we have what I believe to be an approved, even an inspired example of extolling God's beauty and goodness by way of recognizing the reflection of those attributes of his in his dwelling places, in his courts, his house. In other words, in his church, among his people. Thus, it's fitting for us this morning to consider and commemorate the story of Old Antioch Church, 180 years of proclaiming Christ at the crossroads of Greenville and Spartanburg counties. Because of the level of historical detail involved in this address, I am reading from a manuscript, which I don't usually like to do, even when I'm telling story, but I want to get my details straight. My plan is to proceed in four parts as I draw from the historical development of this church to tell its story, or perhaps more appropriately, its stories. As we take a brief look at what is, by American standards, a long period of time, what we shall find is that the story of Old Antioch Church illustrates the faithfulness of God to his particular people in their particular places. Again, I did not confer with Mr. Duncan about the language. But God is always faithful to his people wherever he has them. And as one historian of this church put it in 1996, the last time a, um, a history of this church was published, quote, History portrays this church body as small in number, but rich in those who have been willing to serve, however great or small the service may be, end quote. Much more than a quaint saying. I think that's an accurate description. So part one, from the tiger to the enery. Our story begins, as Mr. Duncan intimated, in the western heart of Spartanburg County at the Nazareth Presbyterian Church, not far from here, the mother church of many Presbyterian congregations in the area, including some PCA churches today, Antioch and Reedville, Fairview and Mountain Inn, Mount Calvary and Walnut Grove, Centerpoint and more. And then also, um, this is not a PCA congregation, but worth mentioning, First Presbyterian Church of Spartanburg among many others. First Pres Greer was originally Mount Tabor. That was planted out of Nazareth and a few more besides. But I don't want to dwell on the rich history of the Nazareth church. Instead, I want to point out uh, a couple things about it that are relevant to Antioch, some of which is a little bit of overlap with what Mr. Duncan shared, but I think helpfully develops it and sets the groundwork for the rest of my address. Um, this uh, Nazareth church was planted in 1772 as part of the Philadelphia Presbytery. 
having been organized by the Reverend Joseph Alexander and a group of Scotch-Irish Presbyterian families who came from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, then a colony in the 1750s, and were later joined by other families directly from North Ireland. This Pennsylvania connection is something that the Antioch Church has inherited from her mother congregation, as we will see at several points. I promise not to be too obnoxious about that, but I love saying Philadelphia almost as much as I love saying Charleston. So, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not the only other example of a Philadelphia or Pennsylvania connection, by the way, so you'll see what I mean. In August 1843, 21 members of the Nazareth Church and two members of the Fairview Church were dismissed from their congregations to constitute the Antioch Church under the pastoral care of the Reverend William Carlyle. Carlisle is also the name of the town in Pennsylvania where we sent our first intern to take up an associate pastorship. Now, that's a very superficial connection to Pennsylvania. But While the venerable historian George Howe, who probably preached from this pulpit at some point, he almost certainly preached in Antioch. Uh, Dr. Nick Wilborn told me that he's about 99% sure George Howe preached at the old Antioch church building back in the woods and that Hopefully, Dr. Girardeau and Dr. Adger also graced our pulpit, though we don't have any proof of that. But while the uh, venerable historian George Howe reports accurately that this event took place, the organization of the church, on the 17th day of August, according to the records of the now-defunct Cashville Post Office, the report of this action appears in the session book of the Nazareth Church dated the 27th of August. And I don't think that's a typo because the source where I have it listed 27th of August twice in the same document. Um, That could be uh, just a repeated typo, but the point of the matter is we don't know the exact birthday of Antioch, but it's August 1843, and we celebrate it nonetheless. Um, It was comprised, this congregation, mostly of the relatives of Revolutionary War veteran Denny Anderson Sr., whose kin donated 10 acres of land, more or less matching the bounds of our current property. The intention was to have a vital Christian witness at this place, including the perpetuation of a properly maintained cemetery here. Um, Not so much an expansion, but rather a substitute for the Massey-Anderson Cemetery about a mile in on the other side of the Willow Creek um, community here. Um, This is important to recognize. Mel mentioned that this is a practice of Presbyterian churches and Reformed churches in general, but especially in the New World, to have a church with a churchyard. It's not something we do all that often anymore with modern churches and church plants. If you go out west, it's very, very rare to see. But here in this area, we benefit from this witness because the honorable treatment of the remains of the departed is a distinguishing feature of Christian folk everywhere around the world. And we could say Jewish folk as well. Uh, We have the pattern established for us as an approved example in the life of Abraham. The only land he owned in his lifetime in the promised land was a burial site for his dear bride. And so that tradition has been kept up and continued, and I think shall continue even until our Lord returns to claim us and reunite us with our glorified bodies, that we might worship him forever. What exactly defined a vital Christian witness might be a question we would ask in these early years of the church's history. It's best gathered from uh, two details about Antioch's genetic inheritance from the Nazareth church, as well as its continuing relationship to its mother congregation during these years. In the first place, the Nazareth church had a history of holding the office of ruling elder in very high esteem. The men of the Nazareth church had such a high view of the qualifications of the ruling elder that 
when the men needed to, uh, that they needed to be all but cajoled into accepting nomination to the office when that church was first formed in the 18th century. Uh, it's, the ministers had almost to, to twist their arms to get them to accept it. And the reason being is not that they were reluctant to serve, it's they were reluctant to be recognized as being qualified to serve. They were very humble men in that regard. They thought so much of the office of ruling elder and so little of themselves that they were hesitant to enter into such a position, as one historian puts it. This conviction about the importance of the ruling elder for the life and well-being of the church is demonstrated in the founding and early history of the Antioch Church in that this congregation in 1843 was founded with three elders sent out from the Nazareth Church. Interestingly, the first recorded session meeting of the Antioch Church took place over a year later in October of 1844. And though these early session minutes or records from those uh, first few decades, actually really from most of the history of the church, unfortunately, were stolen out of this building a number of years ago, along with the communion service. There was evidence, um, according to these historians who had access to the session minutes, there was evidence that these ruling elders, even in the absence of a regular minister for many years, uh, exercised dutiful and careful pastoral care and following um, church discipline even and pursuing people and pleading with them to repent and be restored to the church in the early decades of the church's history. That's a phenomenal witness. Church discipline is not pleasant today, and it wasn't pleasant back then. It's never been pleasant because you're dealing with sin, but these men were committed to do that. Now, the second feature um, that I'd say illustrates a vital church witness here, Christian ministry here, is that Antioch benefited from the ministry of a man who was already mentioned, Reverend Robert H. Reed, whose primary call was to the Nazareth Church for most of his ministry. They benefited from not only his filling the pulpit here regularly, I think for state, as stated supply, even for almost a year, but also um, from the ministry of his close associates in the area in the late 19th century. Pastor Reed was a graduate of Columbia Theological Seminary, where he actually boarded in the home of Dr. Benjamin Morgan Palmer, a titanic figure in the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America in his day. If you look at the life and letters of Dr. Benjamin Morgan Palmer, you will find uh, a couple letters that he wrote to Reverend Reed's um, widow, I believe, after he passed, and uh, expressing his condolences and appreciation for their friendship over the years. Um, or maybe it was vice versa, the other way around. One way or the other, there was correspondence, personal correspondence between the family. Dr. Palmer and by all accounts, Reverend Reed were staunch old school Presbyterian ministers. Now what this means in brief by old school Presbyterian minister is that they believed that while a congregation need not be Presbyterian to be a true church of Jesus Christ, yet Presbyterianism, church government by elders, duly ordained by and enrolled in a presbytery, is necessary for the well-being of the church. Simply put, you don't need to be Presbyterian to be a church, but you should be Presbyterian if you're going to be a church. And if you want to be a healthy church, that's the way to do it. Because God has revealed in his word that the proper manner of organizing that visible society of his children we call the church is Presbyterianism. A fancy way of putting it is jure divino, Presbyterianism, by divine right. This is the way God has ordained his church to function. Thus, a vital Christian witness will generally be a self-consciously Presbyterian witness. So emphasis on ruling elders and commitment to old-school Presbyterianism. How did, these, how did these things go in Antioch? How did it go here? From what I can tell, worship was very simple, 
It's organized around ordinary means of grace, which are the reading and preaching of the word, prayer, and sacraments. There wasn't really anything flashy. There was a program of education taking place here on this property when the church formed. Um, and I don't know all the details about that, but it's been suggested by some that this perhaps involved an informal Sunday school program. Um, a formal Sunday school was organized in March 1875 with even a named superintendent and assistant. The Reverend J.R. Jacobs was the superintendent there, appointed in April of 1875. It's pretty remarkable because the church actually, and I'll get to this, had suffered significant losses by that time due to the war. The Antioch Church prospered well and doubled in size between 1843 and the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861. At that time, the male membership of the church, as you can imagine, was depleted as most men went off to fight on the bloody battlefields of northern Virginia. Some lost their lives there. At least one man um, was, uh, and he's buried here in the cemetery, one man was made a prisoner of war in uh, that brutal Union um, prisoner of war camp. And when he came home, he had uh, sadly gone insane. And uh, so that's a tragic story. There are a number of those in the cemetery and a lot of nice stories as well that we could tell. I won't dwell on those. But the one point to draw from this is that sons of the church who fought in that and subsequent wars are resting now in the cemetery alongside of the church's original benefactor, whom I mentioned, uh, Denny Anderson Sr., was... The first, uh, was a veteran of the first and only successful American War of Independence, let the hearer understand. In April 1883, we enter the second part of Antioch's history. But uh, I imagine how thrilling it was in those early days, planting a church here, more or less on the banks of the Ennery River, and enjoying that sweet fellowship in kind of a protracted, pioneering church environment. In the second part, I called it from Cashville to Reedville. We read this report in the minutes of the Ennery Presbytery meeting held on April 5, 1883, and I quote, A report of the Nazareth Church to Presbytery was considered, and a committee was appointed to visit Nazareth Church and to report to the next meeting of Presbytery as to the propriety of organizing three churches, one to be at Reedville, one at Centerpoint, and one at Welford. The committee, appointed by Presbytery to look into this matter, respectfully reported that they held a conference with the elders and deacons of Nazareth Church on the 25th of May last. After a full discussion of the matter, the committee recommended the following action be taken by Presbytery, that the organization of Antioch Church, having been removed to Reedville, that the members of Nazareth living in the vicinity of Reedville connect themselves with that organization, end quote. On September 24, 1884, then, the session of Antioch met jointly with the sessions of Nazareth and Centerpoint, moderated by Reverend R.H. Reed, and, descend, and decided upon the dismissal of 24 members of the Nazareth Church to the Antioch Church, having been moved to the Reedville Female College, a thriving educational institution started by Reverend Reed in the Nazareth Church some years before. And so instead of meeting back here where the manse currently is now and what was the old church building, Antioch had moved to Reedville, was meeting in the chapel of the girls' college there. There was also a men's school in Reedville. But I think the girls' school was always a bit larger and, and more, uh, more enduring. From what I can tell, it was during the Reedville years that the Leonard family, having been united to the Anderson family by marriage, uh, historically, from what I've been told, a Methodist family with roots in uh, what is Sharon Methodist, not United Methodist anymore, just Sharon Methodist Church here around the corner, uh, that the Leonard family became a very important part of Antioch's congregational life in history uh, in this time upon the removal to Reedville. I'm going to skip over some of the details 
regarding how they determined the permanent location of the Reedville Church, suffice it to say that Mr. D.O. Leonard donated the land upon which a church building was erected in the heart of Reedville, where that church building still stands, having been modified over the years, next to the female college, which... uh, property of which was made into, I think, an elementary school, which has since closed, and they're going to bulldoze that and put Reedville Town Center with mixed residential and commercial property. It's very interesting what they're doing. But here, or there, on that location, the congregation held its first meeting independent of the college in the fall of 1889 as Antioch Presbyterian Church, though in Reedville. The Antioch Church would continue meeting in Reedville for some time, but they had not forgotten about the sacred trust of a cemetery and church building back here in Cashville, four miles away. So in 1896, a group of 22 subscribers pledged to provide the financial means necessary to help the Anderson family, which had, um, had kind of recommitted themselves to ownership of the land with the church moving, not really closing, but moving. Um, but a group of 22 subscribers pledged to provide the means to keep up the old Antioch grounds and cemetery, appointing eight men to serve as a permanent committee for the upkeep of the old church building, as well as the cemetery grounds, which is always an important part of the history of this church. This historic attachment to and contemporary care of the old property became much more important about 10 years later when, in 1899 or so, a Union Sunday School was organized to be held in the old Antioch Church building back there during the summer months and in the newer schoolhouse building built on uh, what is now the corner of Highways 101 and 417. So that brick building out there uh, was built and it was a schoolhouse during what we would consider the school year, but then in the summer months, you would have a Sunday schoolhouse back here where it was a bit more mild, I think, probably in the shade. What they're doing with that building, by the way, in case you're wondering, a man who attends Poplar Springs Baptist Church up the road, uh, his family bought it. They're going to make it into some kind of restaurant or cafe, is what I was told. Um, That's good. That's better than a convenience store (laughs) or something. So we'll see what happens and what comes of that. All that's to say is, for the first four or five years of the Union Sunday School's operation, the Reverend Benjamin Palmer Reed, does that sound familiar? Benjamin Morgan Palmer, Benjamin Palmer Reed, son of H.R. Reed, obviously named for his father's beloved seminary professor, gave a Sunday afternoon each month to the Sunday School. Now, this brings us swiftly to the third part of Antioch's story, in which the younger Reverend Reed figures rather prominently. Part three, home to old Antioch. In 1903, Mr. Palmer, as he was called, held a protracted meeting at the old Antioch church for a period of some days, and then Presbytery subsequently authorized the Home Missions Committee, or Church Planting Committee, we might call it, to reorganize Antioch as a separate but, of course, connected congregation. On June 5, 1904, Benjamin, Morgan, or Benjamin Palmer Reed preached a sermon and invited volunteers to come forward and commit to the reorganization of the old Antioch Church, preaching this sermon over at the Reedville Antioch Church, we might say. Nine such men and women came forward, including a remarkable woman named Mary Anderson Leonard. The names of those folks are on this plaque here, which I believe was commissioned in uh, the 1950s, 1956. Along with B.P. Reed, it was Mary Anderson Leonard who really encouraged and drummed up interest in the reorganization of the old Antioch Church in Cashville by the schoolhouse. Interestingly enough, 
um, Powell Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg has a somewhat similar history. They, the, the instigation of their founding was by a committed Presbyterian woman as well who really encouraged the ministers to take an interest in that mill community. And so in this period of history, uh, we can uh, thank God for these women who had a strong Presbyterianism and an evangelistic spirit and zeal to see churches planted to serve their communities. Um, but Mary Anderson Leonard herself was an amazing woman. She's buried here in the churchyard. She was an accomplished scholar and teacher. She had earned a Ph.D. in history from the University of Chicago. I believe I read somewhere. I couldn't find it uh, this week again. But I believe she was the first woman in South Carolina's history to earn a Ph.D. in the discipline from an out-of-state university. Among her writings, we have a wonderful book about the Anderson and Leonard families, which includes illuminating material about Antioch Church and the pastorate of Benjamin Palmer Reed. It is said of her that, quote, she has had the privilege, I think she wrote this, by the way, she has had the privilege of teaching nearly 2,000 young people in her 21 years active service, a part of this time in the capitals of West Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia, from 1899 to 1906, she was the head of the Department of History, Civics, and Economics in Winthrop College, South Carolina. So now, if you thought having two Antiochs was confusing, check this out. A funny note. While some attribute the founding of Winthrop College to Mary Anderson Leonard, I, th- I think that the honor, not to detract anything from this woman, she's very accomplished, I think that that honor actually belongs to her immediate predecessor at Winthrop, whose name was Mary Hall Leonard. So by 1904, we have two Antiochs, the Reedville Antioch and the Old Antioch in Cashville, and then two Mary Leonards to think about uh, here, not confusing at all. (laughs) There's a lot of very confusing things about the history of this little church, but interesting things that make it so much uh, more zesty, I suppose you could say. When the Old Antioch Church was reorganized, In 1904, the heirs of Denny Anderson recommitted three acres of the original land to the effort, as they had technically, like I said, reassumed possession of the property when the congregation relocated to Reedville in 1883. In the statement of recommitment, we read this, and I share this with Dr. Piper, and we we both busted out in big grin. Quote, it is hereby the condition that the aforesaid lands or buildings located on same are never to be sold or alienated, but to remain forever for the benefit of the descended friends of those buried there, including all the deceased ancestors named above. The church building located on said lands may be occupied by the old school Presbyterians and no other creed of faith, but such occupancy must never infringe upon the rights and privileges of the friends of any funeral service given under... um, my and my name in this 27th day of June in the year 1901 A.D. and the 124th year of the independence of the United States of America. So interestingly, the recommittal was in 1901, I think, when those 22 subscribers, after their petition and commitment, had kind of been processed. But then the church restarted in 1903 as an old-school Presbyterian church. At some point shortly after, Highway 417 out here was moved I'm not sure if it was behind our property where the golf course is now. I doubt it was between the the church and the cemetery. Maybe it was, but it was moved out here. And um, a man named Mr. D.L. Poole gave the church five-eighths of an acre of land so as to have frontage on the road. Eventually, this building would be erected on that land uh, in order to be closer to the highway. And then, I didn't put this in my notes, but from, from what I was told, it was later in the 20th century that 
The other four and a half acres or so was bought up when it became available. Um, and that was very prescient of those folks because I think we're going to have to use it at some point maybe sooner rather than later. But a couple of observations to make before we get to all that. In the first place, I want to celebrate the commitment of the Reverend Benjamin Palmer Reed to this church. In addition to sacrificing time and talents, he also had his wife, Layla, move her membership to Antioch. Though he served several churches at once, he wanted her to be a member here because he believed that Antioch needed that boost in membership and encouragement more than any of the other churches at the time. Reverend Reed, his wife... His father and mother and his son are all buried at the Nazareth Church, and I went over there thinking I'd be able to find it easily, and I saw how big the cemetery was, and I thought, man, it's going to take me forever. I walk through the gate, and I trip over Reverend R.H. Reed, and then right next to Reverend Benjamin Palmer Reed. They're right by the gate. It was very easy to find. Um, Where was I here? Reverend Reed, uh, they're all buried there at Nazareth. When he died in 1914, just two years after completing his eight-year tenure as stated supply of Antioch, The Antioch Session Minutes eulogized him in writing this and later publishing it in the Christian Observer. Quote, A great man, a prince of Israel, has fallen. His days were full of usefulness and crowned with honor. He was a recognized power in all the work of the Presbyterian Church in the state of South Carolina, faithfully performing all duties laid upon him, and his influence in the Master's cause can know no end. Our association with our beloved pastor and loyal friend during his ministry have strengthened us in the service of our Lord and Master, and we deplore our personal loss. We record our love and esteem for his strong Christian character, ever cherishing his memory in our hearts. End quote. His wife, Layla, would continue on as a member here until December 1963. So note that between R.H. Reed and B.P. Reed, The Reed family served Antioch for 60 years. If you include B.P. Reed's wife, Layla, we can add another 50 years on top of that. Just two generations of one family, and you get like 110 years of committed service. That's just amazing. Now, when the Antioch Church organized in 1904, it shared a minister with the Reedville Nazareth Churches, Benjamin Palmer Reed running that circuit. Antioch, because it was a smaller church, bore a lesser share of the expense, and so they did not get their minister for a morning service. Instead, they had him for two afternoon services each month and a Sunday school every Lord's Day. So the evening service was always a very prominent feature of Antioch, which figures into the second or third reorganization effort where we started with just an evening service here. In 1914, the Reedville Antioch Church built a manse in which the minister lived with his family, the first pastor benefiting from this being Reverend A.H. Griffith. In 1916, from what I can tell, the Reedville Antioch Church dropped the name Antioch and became Reedville Presbyterian Church. And then the old Antioch Church here dropped the name Old and became Antioch Presbyterian Church again, formally. But there are those of us who still affectionately refer to this as Old Antioch Church. One notable and interesting feature of the history at this time is the vigorous involvement of the Kilgore family in the life of the church. Some of those names you'll see on the plaque. Um, Also, it was a Kilgore who organized the Palmer Reed Endeavor Society for the Children with 19 ministers at the start of it in 1913, or 19 members, I should say, at the start of 1913. From what I've gathered, Antioch had a thriving ministry to children and youth throughout the 20th century. Of course, it is impossible for me to describe all the ways in which the church ministered to the community and all the people who were involved, including many family names found in our church yard and in our history books, a few of them worth mentioning. Uh, In addition to Leonard, Kilgore, Anderson, and Reed, we might mention the Hudson family, the Dillard family, the Greens, uh, and more besides. 
There, is, um, there are a couple markers out there that say leopard instead of Leonard. And so I asked one of the Leonards, I said, are those Leonards that got creative and thought it'd be cool to have their name as leopard instead? And he said, you know, I've thought about that, but I looked into it and no, they're just, their names were leopard. And so you have two leopards and a bunch of Leonards. And I said, that's, that's great. Um, <laughs> as the church grew, so too did a desire for a more modern facility up toward the highway, as I've already alluded to. Uh, keep in mind, into the 1920s, they still had a little, you know, just plain white building in the woods. So in 1929, this building here, what we call the worship hall, was dedicated after impressive fundraising efforts, including the sale of the old building to Elder William Johnson, not the Elder William Johnson with us. I know, I know Bill's old, but he's not that old. Uh, but the, well, the Elder William Johnson, who I believe is out here on the other side of the walls, I don't know how he moved the church building, but <laughs> from what I, somehow he got it up on, a horse, on horse-drawn carts and moved it to the other side of the highway. I don't know which one. Uh, it, it's not clear. But he moved it to the other side of the highway on horse-drawn carts and then used it as his house for the rest of his life. Um, I don't know if it's still there. I doubt it is. It'd be interesting to go hunting for it. I don't think so. But that's, that's what I read about, about the building. The dedication service for the new building was somehow attended by 500 people. Again, I don't know how, but people from all over the country, it was preached by the Dr. E.P. Davis of Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina, which church also donated a pump organ to Antioch to commemorate the momentous occasion. That pump organ is in our little fellowship hall right now. It still works. The one of the pumps, uh, the cloth broke and needs to be repaired, but it, it still functions. Dr. Davis preached on Psalm 122, verse 1 in the authorized text, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We're going to flash over a lot of history, but Nazareth breaks off from the the partnership with Antioch and Reedville in 1953, at that point able to afford their own minister and desirous to do so. And in the 1950s, in addition to this plaque being commissioned and new pulpit furniture and pews being purchased and a, a number of renovations, the ladies in the church approached the deacons and said to the men, we would like for y'all to raise some funds from us to build a monument to honor um, those who labored alongside our forefathers. That was a way of politely referring to slaves and Indians who were members of this church in full membership. Uh, in the 19th century, but who were too poor to afford proper um, named or inscribed burial markers, and so used rough-hewn stones to mark their graves, which some of the poor white members did as well. And then during the New Deal, I think, or, uh, uh, gangs came through under government supervision and were you know, told to do different projects around, including building the wall out here, this, this pretty stone wall. Unfortunately, they didn't know that the rocks in the field were not just field stones. And so they picked them up and used them in the wall as well as other stones gathered elsewhere. And so not to desecrate the graves, just accidentally, uh, if we're believing the best about people, they, um, they removed those markers. And so the, the large obelisk out there was an effort instigated by the ladies in the 50s but not realized until the 80s. It took 30 years to raise the necessary funds for that. And they had a nice memorial service here in the 80s to commemorate installing it. 
uh, with a number of ministers from local churches, black ministers, ARP ministers, other Presbyterian ministers. Um, in this period of history as well, a couple of remarkable things. Not only did Antioch and Reedville leave the PCUS to join the PCA in 1973 as charter congregations, but um, in this period of time, the church sent uh, its one and only son of the church whom they actually sent as a church to seminary. They sent Steve Leonard to RTS Jackson, and then he labored in the PCA and in independent Reformed contexts uh, for a period of time. He is now retired locally here, but he ministered at Fairview as well as in Charlestown, West Virginia, and in Clinton, Louisiana. Um, though an I do want to mention this. My friend, ARP minister, Patrick Malfris, was baptized in this church along with his sister because his parents, who are here with us today, were members of this church. His mom, having grown up here at Antioch, and his dad was serving first as a deacon and then as an elder. And Patrick would later go on, along with his father, and, uh, uh, two, uh, yeah, in following uh, terms, serving as moderator of the ARP Synod. And he's ministering up in Virginia right now. Um, other remarkable things in this history. The church grew to the point in the 70s of considering facility expansion, and we have the site plans for that. It would have been rather handsome if they were able to pull it together. However, and I'm sure the Malfresses could give you uh, more details about how this worked out, but uh, in that same period of time, Reedville uh, removed itself from the yoked call. They voted to release uh, Pastor Beal, uh, the same Sunday they actually accepted his children into membership or his son into membership. But they voted to release Pastor Beal, and that left Antioch then in a somewhat difficult position of uh, what, what to do then because they were sharing the cost, and actually Pastor Beal was living in the manse in Reedville. So rather than proceed with facility expansion at the time, the congregation voted to construct a manse on the location of the old church building. And Pastor Beal passed away a few years ago, but he was very pleased to tell anyone who would listen that they were able to incorporate a foundation stones from the old church building into the manse. And though they don't meet code, we don't have to remove them. So uh, I could show you those if you ever wanted to visit us down there. Shortly after constructing the manse, Pastor Beal received and accepted a call to minister elsewhere in the upstate, and the future Dr. Jerry Crick became student supply. He later was ordained to the ministry here at Antioch and served until 1994. And it was really while Dr. or Pastor Crick, I should say, student Crick, then Pastor Crick, served here, that Antioch first had a relationship with Greenville Seminary, which was founded in 1987. I'm sure that Dr. Smith preached here. And also... Um, uh, we obviously have a very close relationship with the seminary today. In 1994, after uh, Pastor Crick uh, went elsewhere, Reverend Charles Champion retired from Abbeville to nearby Walnut Grove, where he had built himself a log college-style home near to his old pastorate of Mount Calvary Presbyterian Church. He was at the time, I believe, serving as stated clerk of Calvary Presbytery, and he gladly accepted an invitation to supply the pulpit here and to perform the functions of a pastor for Antioch, a service he nobly rendered in his retirement, mind you, for about 25 or 26 years, from age 60 until 86, making him the longest serving pastor in the history of Antioch Presbyterian Church. I'm happy to report that he is in good health at 89 years old, um, but he does have difficulty getting out of the house and getting around due to neuropathy, so he couldn't be here with us this morning. But during his sacrificial service here in those years, 
The church saw modest growth for a time. But of course, as you can expect, the challenges uh, that come with reaching a rapidly changing and increasingly mobile community, including the growth of many larger churches with regional appeal in the area. Uh, But they were always committed to missions. They were always committed to um, maintaining a witness here. In fact, we have uh, missionaries who were supported by this church for many years with us today, the Heralds, who served with MTW down in Mexico and in Colombia. Glad to have them here. We also served uh, or supported missionaries in Japan and elsewhere around the world out of this church in that time. So that brings me up to part four. 26 years after Pastor Champion gets here in 2019, he repeated an appeal he had made in the past to Calvary Presbytery and to various churches of the Presbytery for a group to come and to assume stewardship of the property and the gospel ministry here. Uh, eager to see a thriving church once again on this place. In February of 2020, the remaining congregation voted to retire their elders, Mr. James Brown and Mr. Joe Buck Kilgore, and to petition Calvary to appoint a provisional session moderated by Dr. Joseph Piper of Greenville Seminary and assisted by intern, pastoral intern Zachary Groff. In August of 2020, Calvary approved that petition and assigned ruling elders Chipley Bennett of Providence, William Johnson of Woodruff Road, and Rick Holyfield of Roebuck, serving alongside of teaching elders Joseph Piper, Todd Buckner of Reedville, and Richard Thomas of Mount Calvary as the original provisional session. In September of 2020, this church reorganized or restarted its services with weekly prayer meeting first, and then uh, weekly afternoon worship services with 11 people committed to the work, mostly children. And a second service or morning service was introduced with a Sunday school in June of 2021 after the congregation was more or less grown to about 30 or so people in regular attendance. In September of 2021, I'm referring to myself in the third person, not to be obnoxious, but just because it's easy. Uh, Pastor Zachary Groff was ordained to the ministry here in a part-time capacity alongside of Dr. Piper. By mid-2022, it was clear to the session that the growth of the congregation and its needs justified a full-time minister. Pastor Groff accepted a modified call from the session and presbytery and commenced full-time labors here on January 1st, 2023. Like the original group which formed the Nazareth Church, Pastor Groff is from Pennsylvania. <laughs> unlike, them, unlike them, however, he's not predominantly Scotch-Irish in extraction. I'm a different combination of things, but my dad, my dad did tell me we have a little bit of Scotch-Irish in us, so you can claim it. Uh, today, Antioch enjoys an average of 50 worshipers per service, both a.m. and p.m. We regularly have visitors. I'm in talks with five households now who have recently moved to the area or are recently coming out of a broader expression of Christianity and looking for either a more reformed or more pastoral focus, whatever the case may be. So those are the four parts of our history. We might ask now, what of the future? What of the future? There are four brief comments I want to make about the future. Not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but these are all pretty common sense. I think you'll agree with me. First and most obviously, we have a need here. Though you can't see it today, you can see it on Sundays. We have a need for facility expansion, and also just more updates and upgrades to accommodate growth in our region. Um, if, if Antioch is going to grow to the point of being self-supporting and self-sustaining, we, we are in the unique position of having to invest still much more resources into, or many more resources into up, 
updating this facility. We have refinished the floors. We have you know, built out a training room, another soundproof Sunday school classroom, invested in some modern AV equipment, painted the interior, replaced the lights, redid the pews, um, and as well as keeping up with regular maintenance and repairs, groundskeeping. We put in uh, quite a bit of money to make the cemetery more safe. I didn't know this. Seven people in the United States die in cemeteries every year, going around old cemeteries and stuff falling on them. And so... <laughs> Um, it's almost as many as die by shark attack, from what I understand. And so we've invested some funds with a cemetery preservationist who has secured all of the lopsided markers, with the exception of one, which he has dismantled and he's going to be redoing. And he's also been cleaning them. You probably wouldn't notice if you, haven't, if you weren't familiar with it before, but it looks so much better than it did before. It's, it's beautiful. We're not yet as nice as Nazareth Church or Fairview. They have very nice cemeteries. But we're getting there, and it's important to us um, because it's a testimony to the importance of our focus on eternity. Um, Reverend Robert Murray McShane in Dundee, Scotland, put over the entrance to his churchyard there a wrought iron sign, I think, that said, uh, Into Eternity to always keep before the minds and the attention of his hearers where it is they're going and, and what it is he's so blood-earnest about, their eternal destination. So we're making a lot, of, um, a lot of improvements on the current facility, talking about what it looks like to expand this facility with more classroom space at the very least, and then eventually using the field over there to build a new facility with adequate parking. These are expensive things, but they're worthwhile things because they are for the cause of Christ in our little corner of the upstate. The second thing, we are committed to continue an old-school Presbyterian witness to, uh, uh, witness here at Antioch. So we may not have uh, a legal obligation based on that old deed from over 100 years ago, but we do have a moral obligation to do that. And we take that very seriously. And thankfully, for those of us who are here right now, that's a joy because we do believe God was kind to give us direction, clear direction by precept and example in his word for how Jesus runs the church and what it looks like to be faithful to him in that and in pastoral care. Thirdly, we have a desire for the extension of this expression of the Christian faith, old school Presbyterianism, the Reformed faith, biblical Christianity in our region especially into Spartanburg County, and through a healthy internship program around the world. Toward that end, as I said, we have sent our first full intern back to Pennsylvania as an associate pastor serving in Susquehanna Valley of the PCA, hopefully to be ordained later this year or early next. Uh, We have currently six seminary students in our church with two more considering coming over with us feel bad. I feel like we're hogging all the seminary students in our presbytery, but you know these things you can't control, and we're glad to have these men here with us. They serve uh, very helpfully. They're an encouragement to me, and it's going to give us uh, much gratification when they enter the field as pastors to see how the Lord's taking their experiences at Antioch and using it around the world. Uh, but we are, if the Lord will allow, really hoping to see this church grow with locals to the point where we can plant other churches, perhaps in downtown Woodruff or out toward Graycourt in Ennery uh, and, and down in Lawrence or out in Spartanburg into the heart of Spartanburg or where there are places that really do need uh, more PCA churches in Reformed Witness. Think of Boiling Springs or Inman, for example, and then out to Cherokee 
We actually have the western half of Cherokee County in our presbytery. We don't have a single PCA church there. The nearest church in Cherokee County is um, in, on the east side of Gaffney in a rural area uh, where they just got a minister. And so we would love to see uh, a renewed witness and a revitalized witness in these areas. And we're enthusiastic about partnering with our brothers in Calvary Presbytery toward that end. It's an exciting thing. Uh, the fourth place for the future, we have an acute need at Antioch, as we have, and this, the elders will tell you this, an acute need to identify and train our own elders and deacons if we're going to particularize, that is, become a church not uh, borrowing a session from elsewhere. So by God's grace and with great patience and with care, we are well on our way to realizing this anticipated goal. A, a wise and older minister, not, not Dr. Piper in this case, but I'm not going to mention whose name it was, uh, said to me uh, when I was preparing to come here, he said, Zach, if I can just give you one unsolicited recommendation, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. I was in a work very similar to yours where I grew desperate for ordained elders and deacons. And I think I laid hands on men to see them ordained rather hastily. Don't do that. However long it takes, make sure the men that are put into office, insofar as you're able, are godly men qualified and trained. Don't be hasty now. So something I want to read to you all, which is very important to us, and though he's not here today, uh, this was in our minutes at our August 21st, 2023 meeting, moved, seconded, and passed unanimously by the Antioch session to honor Pastor Charles Champion by renaming the history room the Champion Room and to produce a certificate or plaque at the discretion of Pastor Groff and Dr. Piper to commemorate the honor, a copy of which is to be presented to Pastor Champion at our 180th anniversary celebration. And so we'll present him with that at his home at some point to honor him and his many years of sacrificial service here um, you know, talking to him, it impresses upon me that those were difficult years, seeing other churches crop up and get really big and little old Antioch staying little and getting littler over the years. But he never, ever shows any signs of regret or distress. He was just happy to serve. And in his retirement, it was a blessed opportunity for him. And he was very committed to it over all those years. Um, and so we're happy to honor him in that way. And, uh, in the history room, it's not set up now, so I can't really show it off, but we're going to have some historical artifacts of the church that we've gathered, as well as some portraits of some of the old, older ministers, including Benjamin Palmer Reed and Pastor Champion. And I think uh, the other one is Marshall Dendy that I have a picture of. We're hopefully going to gather a few more. But um, that's just one small way to celebrate God's faithfulness to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time over these last 180 years, and hopefully um, we'll be able to see him continue and perpetuate that expression of his faithfulness for many more years to come. Uh, while Isaiah's getting the fried chicken, I'll remark on this. I spoke with the coordinator for church planting and vitality of Mission to North America of the PCA on Friday. His name is Chris Vogel. He's kind of third in command with our national church planting, church extension group in the PCA. And uh, he said to me that the average lifespan for a church, I don't know how they calculate this, but they said the average lifespan for an institutional church that's self-supporting and all, it's about 70 years, 70 years. 
Antioch has survived in 180 years, but as Mr. Duncan and I have highlighted, it's had reorganization attempts, it's had resets. And if we were hearing an address on the history of Second Presbyterian Church, maybe not as formal resets, but certainly cultural and theological resets in its history, and even the story of the PCA is largely a story of a continuing church resetting at different times. And it is interesting to see. I hope that Antioch exists if the Lord should tarry for far more than 70 years. But uh, these resets shouldn't be causes of discouragement. Instead, they should be causes of praise, that we give thanks to God that he hasn't abandoned the work here. Because as I said to that coordinator, it's always sad when a church closes, but it's only tragic when it closes as the region around it grows. The region around here is booming, and it's only going to get more densely populated. So for Antioch to close now would be or three years ago, would have been a real tragedy. And thankfully, the Lord did not allow that to happen by His grace. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.